Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. Happy New Year! You may have heard that Bishop Frank tested positive for COVID last week. Well, he's on today, he's feeling all right, and he's going to give us an update to tell us how he's feeling on today's Let Me Be Frank. And then, some theology. Bishop Frank talks about meekness, and then about the epiphany and the baptism of Jesus. Also, to kick off the new year, get the Veritas Catholic Network app on your phone and take Catholic Radio with you wherever you go. Listen in your car, on Alexa, on iHeart, on Google Home, and now on your phone. Listen to our live broadcasts, grab podcasts of Let Me Be Frank and Restless and more. It's on your phone. Download the Veritas Catholic Network app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or visit www.veritascatholic.com. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, everybody. It is my pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, Happy New Year to you and to all our listeners. Thanks, Mm -hmm. Excellency. Happy New Year to you. And, um, you know, we're we're seeing each other over video, which we've been doing Mm -hmm. for most of uh, 2020. And Mm -hmm. you look good. I mean, many of our listeners know that you tested positive for COVID just after Christmas. So how are you feeling well, you know, thankfully, I have no symptoms that I'm aware of from the virus. And um, it's interesting, as soon as I received the positive result, I was counseled to get retested, which I did, and to take the antibody test, which I did. And the result of the retest was negative. And the antibodies showed no antibodies at all, none, which is interesting because certain antibodies are developed immediately and certain are developed over time. So I had an abundance of caution to make sure that one never knows really in the end. Um, So I'm following the guidelines. So I'm quarantined for the balance of this week as well. And I will soon go for a a retest. And I'm praying that that is negative. Um, so that by the end of the week, I could um, I could get back to public ministry. I, I must confess uh, two things. What complicated this a bit was that I did see my family at Christmas time, and my great niece, who I talk about a lot, also for a brief period developed a high fever, and it happened at the same time. So I was deathly afraid, and it, and it raised in my mind you know, an interesting set of emotions because one will always accept suffering in one's own life, but the last thing you want to do is get someone you love sick. Right. So it was a profound personal lesson. The other is I was unable to go to the priestly ordination of Father Blowy, Brendan Blowy, this past Saturday. So that was a tremendous disappointment on my part, but I want to publicly congratulate him. Uh, He is a fine young man. He will make an excellent priest. He is an excellent priest now. He will go back to Rome to continue his studies. So I think this is a moment of tremendous grace for the diocese to start with a a brand new young priest. It's tremendous. And I also want to thank Bishop Massa, James Massa, the rector of St. Joseph. He did a phenomenal job, spectacular job. In fact, they may never want me back coordination <laughs> after his, after his. He, his homily was on point. It was very personal. He's so very reverent, very gentle. No, he just did a great job. So I'm tremendously grateful to him to come in to do that because otherwise we would have had a major issue, right? Yeah. Well, congratulations to Father Blowy. Oh, yeah. He will do great work. And so now what are we talking about this week? 
Yeah, well, you know, we're uh, we're here in a new year. Well, we, it seems like we had the same issues as uh, 2020. Uh, we have a, a vaccine for COVID, obviously, Deo Gracias, but uh, now there's a, a new and more powerful strain of COVID. Our economic landscape is you know, going to stay shaky. Uh, oh, I wanted to ask you. So I heard a lot of people last year saying uh, we need to have faith over fear, faith over fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you mm-hmm. hear that said, Excellency? Yes, yes, yes. And it is a false choice, as always. You know, remember, heresies are half-truths and false choices get you into trouble. So let's take it apart, shall we? What's fear? Fear is the response to the absence of knowledge. That is, when you do not know something, you are naturally going to be averse to it. And therefore, fear arises in your heart. Now, there are two sources of knowledge, are they not? One is through reason and through the natural order, and the other is supernatural through revelation. And to dispel all fear, you need to have, you need to ascribe an assent to truth from both categories. And that is why I say it is a false choice, because it is perceived with that saying, that it is faith over fear because faith will allow you to go forward in life, right? Which is all true, as if reason cannot also dispel fear. Because faith is not irrational. We've talked about that. So we as body, soul, and spirit, we need to exercise our reason and turn to faith so that fear can be totally dispelled. Because there's a role for reason to dispel fear as there's much faith to dispel fear. And that is why a lot of of what I hear out there is a return almost to fideism, faith with no reference to reason. And that's not that that is not helpful at all. In fact, it could have the counter effect. So, so to give it really kind of, I just posted something on Facebook and, you know, to, to be very blunt, I, I, I mean, we're all weary. My goodness, it's 10 months of this. Gosh, socially distant. Oh, please. I mean, you want to be able to, to shake somebody's hand. You want to be able to hug, you know, a relative. You want to be able to, I mean, I wash my hands, but not like my hands are bleeding actually, because Obviously, you can't see it in a podcast, but one of the one of the gifts my mother gave me was her dry skin, <laughs> and my mother's hands my mother's hands used to bleed. Oh wow! Because they were so dry, and now because of the alcohol, my hands are breaking out all over. I look like a, I don't know what I look like. I would love to not to stop, but you can't. You have to persevere. It's one of the great virtues, perseverance, because reason tells us those things do work. Right. So return to faith. Without a doubt, because faith gives us knowledge of the love of God and his mercy and his presence in our lives. And we know the Lord is there in our hour of darkness, in our hour of challenge. We know it in faith, but we also, reason also tells us and helps us to know what it is we need to do to mitigate the effects of this disease in our midst and all the challenges that come from it. Both. That dispels fear. Both. Make sense? It does. I feel like some of the some people are also um, 
mixing up politics and religion uh, to a degree. So like Cardinal Burke, a great and holy man, gave a sermon on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And mm-hmm. um, what stuck out to me was when he said that um, worldly forces want to isolate us and make us slaves to a godless secular um, agenda. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, you look around and many governments have shut down church services while they allow liquor stores and gambling centers and abortion centers to stay open. And they've allowed mm-hmm. all sorts of protests around the country. I'm actually curious mm-hmm. to see what they'll allow with the March for Life. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, there are people who agree with um, Cardinal Burke on that point, which I do too. But then they take it a step further and they say, so that means there's no danger in COVID. <laughs> I mean, it, to me, it feels perfectly consistent to say that government overreach is true and the virus is a real threat. Well, let me ask you a question. A question for all of us to truly consider. What is the harder conversion? The conversion of societal structure or the conversion of the human heart? In the end, what can society do to me in my relationship to Jesus Christ? Could it put me to death? Well, then join the martyrs. Yes. Can it stop me from praying in the depth of my heart? Absolutely not. And even if society prevents me from public worship, from going to Sunday Mass, how is that different in the persecution of the Christians in the catacombs? There is no force on earth that can prevent me from giving true adoration and worship of the only Lord and Savior that ever will exist. Now, having said that, We are obligated to go into the world to bring that world to faith in Jesus Christ. But I don't think we should be discouraged with the battle because there has always been a battle. There has always been a battle. Sometimes it's subtle. Even in the glory days of the 50s and 60s, if there was such a great conversion of society, why did it lead to the 70s and 80s, which was in the 60s, which was a disaster? right? There has always been that battle. And I think in the end, um, if we're really going to bring modern society to the throne of Jesus Christ and to allow the sovereignty of Jesus Christ to take hold of every aspect of our lives, including the public square, the economic square, the political square, it's only going to be done through heroic witness of individual Christians. Yeah. Right? Changing the laws alone are not enough. They're not enough. They are necessary, but not enough. So let's change hearts first for now. Then we will change everything else. And then it will come naturally, right? Yeah. You know, I was thinking, um, Excellency, tell me what you think about this. I was thinking that there's also, um, this is also a reminder that we, uh, me most of all, need, mm-hmm. um, So Jesus said, learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. We need meekness. Mm -hmm. And meekness is not weakness or timidity or wimpiness. Right. It's actually strength. And it it is... Now, this will get us into a a bit of a controversial conversation, which is good. We start the new year off with a bang. (laughs) Right? But meekness, my understanding of meekness is that it goes hand in hand with the sister virtue of temperance. And it has everything to do with mitigating the vice of anger that is unrestrained and uncontrolled. Now, 
Anger is an emotion. It is morally neutral. It arises spontaneously. What you do with your anger can be an occasion of virtue. It can be an occasion of great sin. When Jesus flipped the tables in the temple, it was an expression of anger, righteous anger, to the glory of his Father. Okay. We live in a very angry world. And therefore, meekness, which is that virtue that allows us to take when we are angry and mitigate its effects so that we do not act out of it in an unrestrained way that often creates tremendous problems and can actually be sinful. That meekness is definitely, wholeheartedly needed in our hearts and in our society. Because this is where it gets controversial. There is so much anger in the church that it scares me. There is anger in, forgive me for using these categories, in the left and in the right, in the conservatives and those who are progressive, in those who want social action and those who want to return to a traditional liturgical lifestyle. There is anger everywhere I see, everywhere. And you say to yourself, well, if you're angry because you're disappointed or because you feel betrayed or because you think leadership has failed or because you, the society is attacking us. Or, I mean, there's a thousand reasons why we could be angry. The real question is, do you act out of it? Do you act in an unrestrained way? Are you reacting to the anger that you feel in our heart? Because your anger could be justified. It's not to say it's not justified, it could be just, but you're acting out of it. And if you are acting out of it in an unrestrained, or if I may say, unreasonable way, okay, then you need to pray for meekness so that you don't fall into that sin. Because on the surface, it may appear as if you are doing the work of God, but in fact, the devil is laughing all the way home. Yeah. And, and in some way, shape or form, um, the pandemic has just exacerbated that anger. Because of all of the struggles people are facing and the personal challenges they are facing, people are on edge always, everywhere. And now within the church, which is my primary concern, okay, as a successor of the apostle, to see the family, the ecclesial family we form, to see it so divided and angry. Um, this meekness, which is the strength to be able to restrain, to wait, to hold one's tongue, particularly when they're angry, is essential. Does that make sense? It does. It, uh, to know when to assert yourself, when to be passive, as opposed to just reacting to everything out of emotion. Or, or to react without thinking through the consequences. You see, in the end, why do we as Catholic Christians speak of faith and reason? Because faith alone, de devoid of reason, okay, can do harm. Because you do not use your God-given faculties within the mind of the church 
as the church teaches, to reason out the application of faith in a given circumstance. It's reason that helps you to understand how to apply the moral order or the moral teachings of the church. Okay. To love your neighbor as yourself has to be applied right now with me, with you. Reason helps me to do that. And therefore, anger, in the moment we experience it, doesn't have much room for reason. And, and meekness creates the space where reason can come in and cool the passion so that you act reasonably, not denying your anger, but doing it for a positive purpose. Yeah, There's not a lot of that going on. There, there's not a lot of that going on, and it is having terrible consequences. One thing, uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard this, and it, it resonates with me as a man. Um, I think there's something inside boys and men who, who really, uh, that this, this would t- um, touch uh, something inside. But So I heard mm-hmm. that the, the word meek comes from the Greek word praus, which means strength mm-hmm. under control. And the story that I heard is that apparently the ancient Greeks would bring wild stallions down from the mountains to be trained. And then depending on their temperament, they, some would be used for farming, some would be used for um, racing, and then the best of the best would be trained for war. And the war horses uh, retained their fierce spirit and their courage and their power, but they were um, disciplined to respond to the slightest nudge or movement of their rider and they still weren't afraid to gallop into battle, but they placed their strength at the service of their masters. And these horses were said to be meek. And you know what? That is a, a fantastic illustration of the basic Christian principle that restraint is many times strength. For in the end, who among us sinful as we are, having had to face the same circumstances the Lord Jesus did in his passion and beating, how many of us would have exercised the same restraint that the Lord did? Was he a coward or was, or was he the hero of all heroes? Was, he, was that the shining example of what divine strength and grace really mean? Is by restraining himself so that he could endure that for our salvation. See, meekness is strength. That is exactly, and therefore, would, could we just for a moment in our contemporary world, just be still, just hold our tongues, just stop writing on social media, stop, stop, stop. Stop offering an opinion, stop, and just sit before the Lord and say, Lord, Allow me to be meek and humble of heart. And tell me what to say. Tell me what to do. I feel this anger. Let it be to your service. I mean, if we could make that resolution, we talk about New Year's resolutions. We can make that resolution, you, me, whoever wants to, who's listening, in 2021, that that will give the world real hope. And the church a real opportunity to heal. Mm -hmm. That's a great story. Yeah, you know, it's the Beatitudes, not blessed are the powerful and the overbearing. It's they will inherit oh, yeah. the earth. <laughs> you know, Bishop Barron has that great, that great um, lesson about Makarios, blessed. You know, when he goes through the Beatitudes 
and I believe it's in Catholicism where he, Makarios is Greek, of course it's the Greek word, and it, we define it as blessed, we, we translate as blessed. He said there's an alternative uh, um, translation that uh, speaks of it almost as being lucky, hmm. right? And he sees the Beatitudes in a contemporary way of understanding them as, uh, as freedom, from being enslaved or attached. You're attached to good feelings, you're attached to power, you're attached to pleasure, you're attached to, to, to self-pity. And the Beatitudes are lucky you are to be set free from those. Right? So that's what we're talking about here. Meekness is to be set free from unbridled anger. Right? Like your horses. Yeah. That's gonna make my that that will make my way into a homily one day, my friend. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. <laughs> uh, uh, one one other thing, Excellency, I wanted to ask you about. So, um, uh, we are in the year of Saint Joseph, which began on December eighth, mm -hmm. and yes. now on March nineteenth, we're going to overlap with the year of Amoris Laetitia family. Mm -hmm. So, maybe we should. How do we do this? Yes. How do we do this? Very good question. I mean, I must confess, um, it's a very good question. I'm not exactly sure, but this much I do know that um, we have a lot planned for our diocese for the consecration of St. Joseph, which maybe after the break we could chat about. Um, I hope to publish the exhortation, the first part of my exhortation on Ash Wednesday. That is now the definitive date of publication and it will announce the consecration of the diocese to St. Joseph. Now, an essential piece to, um, to whatever we plan to do to renew and rebuild the church coming out of the pandemic needs to be the revitalization of family life. And when you speak of St. Joseph, one of the great functions, tasks, duties, responsibilities of Joseph was to head the Holy Family, to protect it, to care for it. So I, I think they fit, but you have, we have to give thought so that it's not perceived as one thing laid on another, laid on another, and people say, how many things can I do at once? Right. right. So we have yep. to give it thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I like his thought that the pandemic has highlighted the importance and the centrality of family. Um, and he said he has a lot of um, Amoris Laetitia initiatives planned for this year. So I think it'd be very interesting to see who he puts in charge of the different initiatives, so. Yeah, it'd be, right. And again, the Holy Father has to be patient because um, many of those initiatives, if they're gonna have a social component for many parts of the world, will not be possible for 2021. Because if we're having difficulty rolling out the vaccine, can you imagine in the developing world the difficulties there will be if you need this super re refrigeration, yeah. that so I'm not even sure the facilities exist. So it will be a long time before the world recovers from the pandemic. So again, it's all part of, I'd be curious to see what the Holy Father suggests. It's just that kind of, you know, um, that uh, weighs on my heart yeah. that even in the recovery, it will not be an equal or uniform reality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, another thing, um, I was very, so happy to read this that, because um, the Vatican finances have famously or, or infamously 
been been a wreck for a long time and Pope Francis Oh, since now... the Middle Ages. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he's cleaning it up finally and yeah. uh he removed control from the Secretary of State. He transferred uh control to the Secretary of the Economy. Um Right. Right. So Yeah, I mean, it's I think yeah, I, I really can't speak to it in any definitive way. I'm not I'm not knowledgeable of anything more than you are from the news reports, but I would say this. I think for uh, for anyone who has not lived in Italy, in Rome, in the church environs, it's very hard to appreciate the unique culture that exists there. You know, we as Americans tend to be historically impatient. So we like things done real quick. And I myself being Italian, I grew up in an Italian house and we saw kind of the more long view, relatively speaking, but living in Rome and oh my gosh, the long view for them is literally <laughs> centuries. All right, so for us, the changes the Holy Father's trying to make in his pontificate, which is now seven and a half years, almost eight years, whatever it is, um, seem very slow, but by Vatican standards, they are extremely fast. Yeah. And there's a lot of resistance in the structure to change on that scale that fast. Yeah. So I think we should, like you say, appreciate what he's trying to do with all the difficulties experiencing it, because it, it, it is, we should not underestimate how much of an earthquake it is in the Curia. Yeah. That's the point. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's been a good couple of weeks for Cardinal Pell. So yes, <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, Excellency, let's take a break, and we'll mm-hmm. uh, we got lot, lots more to talk about when we come back. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. So, Excellency, we've been talking about how it's the start of a new year, um, Mm -hmm. lots of things happening. Uh, Can you tell us about what you have planned uh, for the Diocese of Bridgeport for 2021? Oh. Oh, we have a ton, I must confess. Because I, let me just start by saying this, this is a moment in the life of the church that comes perhaps every 50 years. This is the moment. We rise to the occasion, we can put the church on a course of renewal, growth, and we can make ourselves once again what we are destined to be which is the voice in the world of conversion and life. So are we gonna rise to the occasion or not? That's my question. I vote yes. And there are many people who, when they hear some of the stuff I would like to do, are gonna say, this man needs a psychiatrist (laughs) because we are exhausted. We are, um, we're tired, we are, we have so many mixed emotions and you're asking us to do this, that, and the other. And I'm not sure I can. And my response back is good because the Lord will do it through you. Okay, it's time to get out of the way. 
It's time to be concerned about ourselves and only in ourselves. It's time to allow the Lord his proper place. And it will not be easy. So the truth is, if a person says, I don't want to do this, I respect that decision, but you don't need a million people to change the face of the church. So what is it we're planning to do? First and foremost, the key piece to this is, as I mentioned a few uh, months ago, is to recognize our situation is fundamentally changed. And because we live in a post-Christian world and a post-Christian church, uh, a post-Christian country, we as a church need to look at everything we do through the prism of a missionary. And therefore, we need to create new places, experiences, and initiatives that will allow us to go out and encounter people where they are and accompany them to full faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we look at the structure of our diocese and it is too big and it is too institutional to do that. There are too many parishes, many of which are struggling and some of which have not had a vibrant pastoral life for many years. Do we continue to put money into those or do we join forces or look at other creative ways to maintain the proper structure of the church, but also free up resources for new initiatives is one question we need to answer. The second is everything rises and falls on the Eucharist. If we don't use this moment with the hunger people feel to come back to mass, to give them the meat, the food of the church's true teaching on the Eucharist and the sacrifice of the mass, if we, if we don't do that, we're losing this opportunity to really feed our people. If we don't use this as an opportunity to rededicate ourselves in every parish, at every celebration of Mass, to do it beautifully, reverently, to do it in a way that uplifts, that feeds people to homilies that truly allow them to encounter the presence of God in the Holy Scriptures, which is different from giving a sermon or teaching of the Catechism, which we also need to do. If we don't use this as an opportunity to engage people, to literally go out in mission, having received the body of Christ, becoming the body of Christ, as Augustine said, to go out as missionaries into the world, then we've lost the generational moment. This is what we're called to do. So that's going to be our focus. And quite frankly, I've begun conversations with the pastors that we will need to personally invite many Catholics who have fallen out of habit to come to Mass, when this pandemic begins to recede, we will have to personally invite them to come back. And we will need to raise an army of laity and clergy who will be trained to do that. That will start shortly. In quiet, it will start. Because sometimes, Steve, if you happen to be someone who was on the edge of wondering whether you wanted to continue to go to mass and be active in the church for everything that has happened. And the pandemic has given you the last straw that you, you know, you could come back, but you won't come back. Chances are a lay person like yourself, faithful, knowledgeable, gentle of heart, can be a more effective missionary than myself as a bishop or a priest. You come with less baggage, you come with sincerity, 
and you may help accompany that person in a way I cannot. This is the moment. This is the moment when we unleash those individuals, both with training and support, to go out and be those sort of invitational missionaries, right? And then there is the, the, so that is the piece. Then there's going to be the innovation that I spoke about, not just parish, you know, like the structures of the church, because the structures of the church, it's really just right-sizing them. It really is the question, what are we going to do new? And it's a little premature for me to talk about that now, but let me tell you something. Some of these ideas are extraordinarily exciting. And I'll just give you one. If we could get young adult Catholics to get excited about Catholic social teaching and give them mentoring to become true entrepreneurs in the world, that is leaven for societal change. And they will be the missionaries to people of their own age. So having then there's the consecration of St. Joseph. So this much I can tell you, on the Feast of St. Joseph, March 19th, there will be a mass of consecration at the Cathedral of St. Augustine that will be live-streamed, as well as people, please God, will be there in person and live-streamed. And we will begin a year observance of the consecration, that there will be a theme every month, liturgical celebrations and other events, both in person and live-streamed, until we can basically forego the live streaming, but who knows what conditions will be. That will involve men's retreat, that will involve pilgrimage, please God, to the St. Joseph Oratory in Montreal, that will involve masses uh, for young adults, that there will be an opportunity for family consecration, right? There will be the Christmas novena that we'll do for a diocese throughout. There will be many opportunities and we will highlight 12 aspects of Joseph. And then in March 19th, 2022, there will be a closing celebration of this period of consecration. And notice, I don't call it a year of consecration because I, I much prefer to call it a period of consecration because when the year ends, when the period ends, the consecration doesn't end, it keeps going. So that's some of what's, it, that's what's brewing in the background. Wow. It awesome. is the single, I'm 34 years a priest, I will be 15 years a bishop. I engaged in the entire reconfiguration of all the schools in Brooklyn, parish merges in Brooklyn, 46 of them. All of the stuff we have done, the synod in, in, in our life in Bridgeport. Mm -hmm. And all I mention that is not simply say what was done because that was done simply because I had the great fortune of working with phenomenal people who made that happen. I was just a cheerleader. But I say all that because what I'm outlining is the single most ambitious pastoral set of initiatives I have ever, in my prayer, come to realize we need to do. This will dwarf everything we've done to date. Wow. And I am so excited, I am so excited to be able to do this. And I'm hoping others will be excited to take the moment of darkness we have lived and make it an occasion to allow the light to shine. Yeah. And who better to entrust the diocese to than the guardian of the church? Without a doubt. And quite frankly, again, to be a little controversial, it's also a wake-up call to men. Because men need to step up in the life of faith. Many do. Many do not. 
and they have vocations first as men and as fathers of their families, husbands to their wives, they need to step up to what God has asked of them as he did of Joseph. And I'm a spiritual father too, so the same challenge applies to me. Uh, I am included in this. But I think in some way, shape, or form, we have to make one of the goals of the consecration to St. Joseph, not simply family life, but to use to challenge men, especially young men, to virtuous lives of faith. Yeah. Awesome. And, you know, if you're, if you're including, as you said, Excellency, the, um, the training and the tools for, for lay people to teach us how to invite others and to show men how to step up. That's, I think a lot of people feel like they would like to do stuff like that, but um, they don't feel adequately prepared, which who is anyway ever? I mean, it's the Holy Spirit who's at work, but still. Right. There's two elements, my friend, training and support. So the training we can offer, almost everything I described, the diocese will take the lead because our pastors are burdened with so many things. You, I really cannot ask them to do a lot more just to manage the crisis as we're moving on. So we'll do most of the heavy lifting. But um, the truth be told, I think to train is one thing, to support is another. And that can be a role that the priests and deacons of the diocese play in a particular way in the year of St. Joseph, is to find ways to accompany everyone. And for those men who may for the first time in a long time be intrigued by faith, to find a way to support them maybe in small groups. Because if you go out in invitational ministry, it's going to be very hard to have doors slammed on your face or people tell you to go take a hike. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very hard not to take that personally. It's very hard not to have that affect your own life with the, with the Lord. And therefore, you have to have a community where you could talk about that. And that community need not be only men. It could be anyone. But you got to have a community. you got to talk it through. Yes. Um, because otherwise you could easily become angry and we're going back to our original conversation earlier right. today. Yep. Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's awesome. And so can't wait to hear uh, as more details come out about all this stuff, Excellency. Um, I, I want to leave a, a good chunk of time though. Um, I did a survey uh, over, um, I think it was last week, and I asked folks what they would like to hear more of. And from mm -hmm. you, a lot of people said they'd like to hear um, even more spiritual reflection and scriptural reflection. So mm -hmm. maybe we could take some time. We had um, last Sunday was the Feast of the Epiphany. This upcoming Sunday is yep. the Baptism of Jesus. So mm -hmm. maybe you could you know, walk us through. Sure. I would be happy to. And, and I think Epiphany, the 12th day of Christmas, um, is the manifestation of the light of Christ to the world, most especially to the Gentile world. And we associate it with the coming of the Magi. Now, in the scriptures, when you hear about the, the Magi, um, it's very much um, a story that resonates in our hearts 
because we see pagan secular kings paying homage to the Christ child. So it's the secular world and the Gentile world being invited to faith and responding in faith. And there's something very powerful to consider, earthly authority bending its knees to Jesus, because in the end, it will all have to bend its knee to Jesus, whether it likes it or not. It is what it is. That is the destiny of all creation. But what's interesting is, in the tradition, the epiphonos, the coming of the light, the theophany, which is this manifestation of the light, is actually three feasts that follow one after the other in the liturgical calendar. So you have the Epiphany, which is the coming of the Magi. You have the baptism of the Lord in the Jordan. And you have the wedding feast of Cana, the first of the seven great signs of John's Gospel. All three, all three are Epiphany. So the first lesson we have to, as we're preparing ourselves to explore the liturgical and scriptural beauty of this closing period of Christmas and the opening of ordinary time is that the light comes to the Gentiles, to those at the baptism, and to the that couple at the wedding feast of Cana where Our Lady says, do whatever he tells you, her last spoken words in scripture, right? So that's one piece to this puzzle. Now the Magi were astrologers. That's what magus meant, astrologers. Therefore, they gazed upon the stars. That was part of their, of their avocation, part of their, 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 their um, lifestyle. So don't you think it's interesting that secular pagan kings who were stargazers came to Christ? How did they receive the offer of faith? It's through the use of their reason. It's the use of their God-given talent to gaze upon the star. And once they saw something extraordinary, they knew, having studied, right, the religion, they knew something was different. And they opened their hearts to what they're going to experience. And I don't know about you, if I were a king of Persia or wherever it was, and I came in and I saw a little child in hay in the manger with the oxen and, and the donkeys and this couple, I'm saying, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> right? And yet that's exactly where they came to faith. Okay? So they were not afraid to be surprised, to have their worlds upended to have the grammar of their life rewritten. So do we, are we? We've come to faith in Christ, but have we become so stuck in our ways that the Lord can't rewrite our lives the way he wants, surprise us the way he chooses? Right? So that's another piece to this puzzle. When you look at the baptism of the Lord, there is a profound theological problem that the fathers of the church had tremendous difficulty figuring out. And that is, why did Jesus submit himself to the baptism of John? All right. So you recall John the Baptist, we talked about him in Advent. And his baptism was not the forgiveness of sins. For John could not forgive sins. 
So we have to make sure that is very clear. But he was a call to repentance for their sins. Because remember, for the Jewish people, the Day of Atonement is Yom Kippur. So he called them to seek forgiveness of their sins, to atone for their sins. And first of all, to recognize their sinfulness. You can't ask for forgiveness until you recognize you're a sinner and actually have confronted what your sins are. All right, so Jesus comes, the one that he is unworthy to untie his sandal strap, obviously, because <laughs> he's the Savior. John is not. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the, the prophet? No, 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 no. Now, talk about surprised. <laughs> when we read the scriptures, it's his relative. Do you think any of your relatives are God? I would hope not. <laughs> Certainly it doesn't apply in my family by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> so, so to consider that John could believe what would seem so implausible from the moment he was in the womb of Elizabeth, of his mother, he leapt for joy. So Jesus comes to submit himself to a baptism that doesn't apply to him, for he's sinless. So why do it? And the father struggled with many different explanations. Good example is one to offer example. Um, but the one explanation that resonates in my heart is in the theophany Remember the father, the voice of the father appears, right? He's heard, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, okay? Our lady, do whatever he tells you, right? Another way of putting it is listen to him. In that moment, Jesus entering the waters of the Jordan, bless the waters of the earth that they may become the vehicle through which salvation can be offered to every human person in the gift of baptism. So he's setting the natural stage that will then be infused with the power of his grace in his death and resurrection, so that it can become the medium through which not just natural life occurs, because without water there could be no life, but also supernatural life. So that is why he is, submits himself to the baptism. It's not to recognize any sinfulness, he didn't have any, but to bless the waters that John would not use to baptize. But those who, who will be filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead, exalted in glory, <laughs> to be able to use those waters to unlock the gift of eternal life. It is a remarkable period in the life, in our worship. Those, these scripture passages, when you just reflect on them, it's just so many powerful lessons to learn. Like for example, Steve, I mean, I could go on and on. The power of dreams. Why did, why, why in sacred scripture are dreams such a powerful medium through which God communicates? Right? To St. Joseph, for example. Why dreams? 
I don't have a definitive answer, but I think in your dream, you are aware, but you are not in control. Hmm. And therefore, the resistance that you and I put up because of our pride and our ego and all is diminished, but we're still aware. It's like, have you ever had an, um, uh, anesthesia? Yes. Okay, and coming out of anesthesia, and you don't remember the things you say? Right. Very embarrassing. It's quite embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's quite embarrassing. But in a sense, dreams are the natural state between sleep and being awake. It's in sleep, but you are aware. So in some sense, it is where God can be most active without our active interference. So don't we say in our cognitive state, we dream. What do we dream? We dream. We're not sleeping, but we're dreaming. Right. Dream big. Dream big. But well, that's exactly what I tried to describe before. Right, to dream big. To dream to dare. Right? So, um, so these three weeks, the one we just passed and the other, are, are different vignettes into asking the question, who is he? Who is he? This Jesus. Yeah. And it's the theophany. It's the coming of the Lord. It's the manifestation of God. It's the coming of the light. Right? And perhaps, if I may just do this, for those who are um, listening to this podcast, we still are in a midst of darkness because of the pandemic. So, where is the divine light? What's our role? to allow the theophany to come. And I would think that it's going to come in individual ways, in small ways, in quiet ways in people's lives. It could be across from the kitchen table, the person across from you at the kitchen table. Yeah. Anyway. We, just need, we just need to be listening for it. Without a doubt. Okay, excellency. Let's, let's take one more break. Got a good question for you uh, when we come back. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic radio's there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, this week we have an email from Julia, and uh, here's what she said. As we look optimistically ahead to the end of this pandemic, we're anticipating that young families will be returning to Mass, which may be difficult for young children who aren't conditioned to being in a church environment and practicing with their parents. As families start returning to Mass, what will you and pastors in this diocese be doing to help families navigate this tricky time? And... How can Knights Councils around the diocese be of service during the transition? Well, you know, it's, it's an excellent question. And it's, again, like many of the questions you and I have, have looked at, it has many different strata that need to be explored. Um, 
first and foremost, apart from going to church, a lot of our children have been in varying degrees isolated during this pandemic. And therefore, the whole question of socializing in proper ways is something we need to navigate everywhere. Right? And one of the things, my immediate reaction is we need both cooperation and patience. Cooperation in that parents struggling to help their children reintegrate socially, they need to be in lockstep with their pastors in their churches who need to be patient initially as children will find it difficult to do just that, right? So the first thing I would counsel is that families speak to their pastors and open that dialogue with their pastors, right? So that they together can serve they, these children, their children, and love their children in their own unique ways. And the congregations need I, and you know, again, I'm very patient by personality and I'm also very tolerant by personality. So I've never asked a child to leave worship when I was pastor in particular. But that should not allow parents to abdicate their responsibility to discipline their children when their children are, are not behaving in a way that's appropriate or, or so distracting that others cannot pray. That's what I mean about the partnership. It's never a question of don't come. It's a question of what do we do together to help your children to make the, the shift? And I think we, we're going to have to be patient. In fact, my sense is in a lot of parishes, and at least in the diocese that I'm aware of, parents have been reluctant to come back to Mass precisely because they're afraid for their children. Precisely because children are always hugging, kissing, touching here, that, the other one, you, uh, you know, it's, and, and, and there's a tremendous merit to that. So that's my other concern is children are children. So when they do come back, we have to be mindful to try to help them as best they can to stay safe. So I would say partnership with pastors, open dialogue, talk frankly about it. Patience on the part of everyone, congregation, priests, all the rest, and, and parents, would be, would be key to this, key to this. And some young people will react better, faster than others, and therefore we, we accompany them as they go along. For the Knights of Columbus, I honestly do not know the answer to that question because I'm not sure. That is something I think every council really should think about because most of the councils are made up of men and the Columbiettes, right, They're, who are families, have families. So I think that would be a tremendous, it's a tremendous idea for the councils to think through how they can be of service, right? Yeah. Uh, may I just say this? No easy answer. It's going to be messy, but that's life. Yeah. Right. I remember I was at one mass. Um, it was a daily mass once. This is <clears throat> several years ago. And, uh, there was a mom sitting in the back and she must have had like four or five kids with her, including um, a very young baby. And mm -hmm. the baby was making so much noise through the whole mass. The other kids were quiet and great. The baby was so loud. And you could see her, you could see, you know, she was flustered. And the mom. Embarrassed. Yeah. Embarrassed. And uh, I, as I walked by, for whatever reason, she looked at me and she said, I'm sorry. Uh, this is at the end of mass, and I said, "For what?" 
and she said for you know the noise and i said i mean who i'm nobody right i was just another parishioner there but i said that, that's the sound of life it's beautiful <laughs> more than that if i may i think your response is tremendous it's also that little child's that infant's praise of god because draw the analogy to what happened at the visitation. Okay? Two infants in the wombs of their respective mothers, intuiting each other's presence and John giving praise to his Savior. Do you think the grunts and groans, even the cries of an infant, are not the praise of that infant in the presence of God? Could we actually dare to think that we are so prideful that our articulated prayers are more worthy prayers than the grunts and groans of a child who is intuiting God's presence in probably in a purer way than I could? That's awesome. I love and that. Who's, who's being distracted in the end? Is the <laughs> infant being distracted? Oh, we are. <laughs> right. And again, I'm not suggesting that, that therefore you leave it unbridled. Yeah. But if it does happen, see it for what it could possibly truly be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. If you're listening and you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Veritas Catholic Network is there as well. Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? I would be happy to. Lord our God, as we begin this new year, I ask that your Holy Spirit come upon Steve and his family, upon all our listeners, so that whatever challenges we face, we may do so with joyful hearts and persevering spirits, that we may always recognize your loving presence, that you may give us hearts filled with peace. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, my friend, I will see you next week. Sounds great, Excellency. Thanks for today. All the best to you. God bless. Bye.